Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, I was uh, hoping to get this out, uh, you know, before the weekend, um, but I got to tell you, I was a little bit distracted. So I decided uh, instead of sending this one out right away, I I decided to put out my Roe v. Wade one from, uh, for those of you who are following me, the one that I released yesterday. Uh, so without further ado, we'll get to the previously scheduled work we're going to do on trauma. Hey, hey, thanks for joining me. I've got a really good one for you today. Today, we're going to talk about trauma. And my hope is that by the end of this, you have a better understanding of what trauma is and what trauma isn't. Uh, you know, the, the, the reality is trauma can be a good thing. We know this more and more. There's studies out there that are showing uh, the effects of what we call trauma growth or as some might call it, tragic optimism. Um, there's there's a few variations. There's there's probably four or five of them that I've, I've routinely heard. I'm going to refer to it as trauma growth. It's what happens in the aftermath of a trauma. So <clears throat> traditionally, we haven't actually looked at this in the profession. Uh, as, as an article in 2020 came out and said, uh, the, I'm going to try to pronounce these names correctly, Laura Copley and Jolyn Carney. They said, researchers traditionally focus on harmful effects of traumatic events without examining potential transformative outcomes. So today, I want to really pay some attention to those transformative outcomes because there are some very good transformative outcomes that come with trauma. All right. I'll start off with a definition. You, you guys you guys should always have a definition so that we're talking the same language uh, or at least understanding one another uh, from the same starting spot. So the, the first thing I'm going to do is give you this definition. Trauma, a sudden event that overwhelms us to the point of helplessness or hopelessness. Okay, that, that is a definition that I use routinely. It's, it's something that happens look, by sudden. That doesn't mean what you might think it means, right? In seasons of life, sometimes sudden can take three to six months. But there is this unpredictable nature to it, right? We, we may be able to feel something changing, but we can't figure out what it is. And so there's these slower, more methodical moving traumas, but then there's these sudden ones that are unpredictable from the beginning, be like car accidents, hurricanes, stuff like that, where you just don't get much notice. It's just, bam, all of a sudden it's there. So it's sudden. It's an, an event. That means it happens. It truly actually happens. This is not a delusion. This is a reality. And it overwhelms us. Our brain goes into overdrive and we begin to compensate. In this, I'm going to geek out a tiny bit. In the brain research, I'm going to suggest the possibility exists that when our brain goes into overdrive and it's overloaded, that those memories become detached. I'm using that word carefully, detached, meaning they uh, the, the synapse, the, the tips of the... Uh, 
how do I describe this to people who can't see? Um, I think of it like the tips of the blades of grass as they sway in the wind. You know, they they can sometimes you know bump into each other and communicate. And but the, in our brain, they're sending electrical currents back and forth. Well, if they disconnect and then they float off, they still sit in the brain. So there's a theory out there that suggests that might actually happen where they float in the empty space. So the memories are there, but they're not actually memories. They're events. So events is a big deal and it overwhelms us to the point of hopelessness and helplessness. Hopeless and helpless. Those are important key terminology right? We want to take a look closely at hope and courage then, right? The idea of not being helpless, being courageous and, and, and capable. So we'll take a look at that as well. But that's, that's what I'm going to start with as the definition. I'm going to tell you some types of trauma because out there, you know, look, What's trauma for one person may not be trauma for another person. Many of you who've listened to me uh, over the last many months have probably heard me say that before. What's trauma to one is not trauma to another, necessarily. So we have a couple of different types of trauma. In the therapeutic world, uh, I refer to these as big T trauma, little T trauma. Big T trauma is is really... um, uh, like it overwhelms us to a degree that is uh, incredibly intense. Little t trauma can be intense, but we can make sense of them rather quickly. For example, a little t might be something like touching a hot stove. Is it intense? Oh yeah, it's very intense. And does it make sense? Yes, we can learn what that means very rapidly. So the growth happens very quickly and we don't stay stuck in the trauma so much. But the big T we can get stuck in because the hopelessness and helplessness that sets in doesn't make sense right away. And we cannot reattach that memory. Or in some cases, we actually lose the memories. Like they they disappear, they float off into la-la land. The other thing we want to consider and when we're looking at types of trauma, is it my trauma or am I experiencing the trauma vicariously or secondarily through another? That is uh, oftentimes what happens. I, I, I don't know a nice way to put this uh, or a politically correct way to put this or, or whatever, but essentially if you've ever experienced a pity party, that's trauma with potential secondary trauma. The people around the person who has either a little T or a big T trauma and or drama, right? It could be trauma or drama. But essentially, if it were trauma, those people around them could be essentially contracting the, the dysfunction of the trauma. In other words, creating a trauma that is secondary. Um... Those are important. Those those are super important. I, w- I want you to keep those in mind. So today, um, I'm going to spend uh, I'm going to spend some time going over the outcomes. I want you to have those, and then I want to get a little bit into some of the theory. Not a ton, but enough that you can walk away going, "Okay, I think I get some of this." And then um, I want to cover the setting. So not in that particular order because I think I gave it to you in, in an order that is not my plan. Uh, I want to start with uh, outcomes. 
Outcomes, I, I, I like to start here because I want people to know the risks and rewards, right? The risks and rewards of any mental health issue. And the risks are powerlessness. That's the idea that I just, I can't, right? And I'll get into that a little bit more when I'm talking about some of the theory, but it's it's a dysfunctional pattern um, that we can't make sense of anything anymore. And we we can lose meaning in our existence. And that eventually results in like the prefrontal cortex shutting down our ability to, to not make meaning, um, then often leads us to our, our more animalistic brain, which is, um, you know, addictions, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about, about the, uh, the, the biological predisposition to it, but the pattern of habit, right? The habit is what we go to because habit can make sense. Uh, why do you do that? Because that's what I've always done. We like that. It feels comfortable when we're powerless, um, when we have no hope. The idea of that's just what I've always done, right? And that's not really what people are designed for. The, the positives on the other side of the outcomes, which is the growth part, is we could actually grow. Um, oftentimes we tend to make more meaning of the world around us. What that often will actually mean is we may never make total sense of the trauma itself, but we do things in our life that make it meaningful, right? And the best example I have of that is, uh, the story of the mothers against drunk driving that came out in what the nineties it was when I was when I was in school still, and the it's kind of interesting. A mother lost a kid in a drunk driving accident, and it just it messed her up in a, in the best possible way. And I say that with all the respect I can possibly muster for her. It messed her up in the best possible way because she started to ask the most important questions that have ever been asked in our country's history around drunk driving. She single-handedly started this thing, gathering allies and people who lost people in drunk driving accidents and put together Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And that became one of the most powerful movements in drunk driving laws in our nation's history, possibly the most powerful. And it still goes on today. So that's kind of a big deal. And that's one way in which growth becomes meaning. Um, in cases where emotional intelligence is low before a trauma, we usually see a pretty significant increase, at least notable increase in their emotional intelligence. In other words, we actually get smarter when we experience trauma. Um, that's... Uh, that's an interesting one. I'll let you guys dig into that on your own if you want, or let me know if you want me to dig into it deeper. And then the vast majority of the time, what comes with trauma is uh, God enters the world of the person or is emphasized in the world of a person. And I think that's significant because we're in more and more in a secular world and yet, you know, somewhere, I mean, I've heard statistics as low as 70% believe in a deity. So the vast majority of our world population believes in God. Um, do what you want with that. But the reality is 
In trauma, it is notable that people become closer to God in the repairing part of the trauma work, the growth part. Okay. I want to explain tragic optimism. I, I found that to be very interesting. I um, Leading up to this podcast, I decided to do some, some more current research. I looked up some stuff over the last probably four or five years. Most of it was probably 2018 to the present. <clears throat> and one of them was tragic optimism, which is kind of a, an interesting concept. Its uh, main premise is looking at why some people can keep a positive outlook in traumatic or hard times. And I thought that was, uh, it was pretty interesting as I was researching some of it. You know, they, they discuss how trauma often propels people into negative core beliefs. Okay, so I'm pretty familiar with negative core beliefs as a therapist, but I'm thinking maybe some of you out there might not be. So what negative core beliefs are, I thought I would tell you what this is real quick. Negative views about ourselves in relation to the world. It's essentially, if you've heard me talking about mindset in the past, which I've talked about a fair amount, that's where it is. Your negative core beliefs fall into that category. It's things like, I'm not good enough. I'll never get it right. And if those of you who saw uh, or listened to my, my podcast on automatic negative thoughts, ants, it's right up that alley. That's the same kind of content. If you've heard me talk about shame, it's right up that alley. These are those statements that we say that are overwhelmingly negative that are automatically coming into our minds as we um, encounter the world around us. So I looked at what solutions they offer in tragic optimism and in the, the theory around tragic optimism. And, and really they make two assumptions in their solution orientation. The two assumptions are life can be meaningful and people can change negatives into positives. In other words, there's a certain uh, nature of resiliency within each of us. I think that's really cool. Um, those assumptions, it's, it's not necessarily cool to make assumptions, but I, I like the idea, me personally, because I am a bit of an optimist myself, but also I found it it's very healing for others to encounter somebody who can be an optimist. Like they can they can learn the optimistic perspective. And then because of that, they can actually do better and be more balanced in their life. So what uh, tragic optimism says is about solutions is we, we need to talk to clients about um, how negatives exist in polarity with positives. For example, strength and vulnerability can exist at the same time, right? The head of the coin can be attached to the tail of the coin. It's still the same coin, right? The idea is there's... There's this polarity. Um, balance gets thrown off in tra trauma. And, you know, one of the things that we want to do is reset balance. One way to do that is, and, and I've worked with so many people on this, you know, they, they think negatively when they come to see me. And I'm like, okay, look, here's the thing. If you spend 51% of your day telling yourself negative things, you're going to feel like the day sucks. If you spend 51% of your day telling yourself positive things about the day, you're going to feel all right with the day. That's the flip. It, 
the balance is going to be there, but we want that flip to be, let's make sure we're looking at the positives. Are we ignoring the negatives? Oh my gosh, please don't do that. That's unhealthy too. And a totally different, that's a different talk. But the reality is if we're looking at the positives, we're going to find far more positives in our day. That is a reality. You don't have to believe me. You could just test it in your world. Wake up and say, today's going to be a good day and watch what happens. Oh, you burn the toast. But then you're like, but you know what? I can scrape that off and you're going to see the positives. I didn't have to throw it away, right? You'll start to look for those and you'll start to identify them. So we got to switch that, uh, that, that balance from 51 negative to 51 positive. That means we only have 49% and preferably even a little bit more than that. You know, I, I like the 70, 30 myself, I'm, you know, I'm going or 80, 20, somewhere in that vicinity, because what I don't want to do is pretend that the world is all perfect and good because it's clearly not right. We have challenging stuff coming up all the time. So then, um, uh, there's this this uh, a writer, this writer in uh, these articles that I've, I've been researching and stuff, P.T. Wong. I don't really know much about them as an individual, uh, but they introduced the idea of, of hope. We have to put hope. Well, that makes sense because if a trauma is a sudden event that overwhelms us to the point of helplessness or hopelessness, and hopelessness usually both, then hope is a a big aspect in the healing process. We have to reintegrate hope into our world. And so there's a suggestion that the ways to do that are these, these five components. Affirmation to the meaning and value of life. Courage, acceptance of limits of influence. If you've listened to me for very long, you'll understand some of these. I don't need to expand on all of them. Um, Service to a higher purpose and faith in God. It's part of the research because it's that important. It's that significant to people who find optimism in tragic situations, in trauma. And so let me pause here and and talk about the, the way in which this can all come about. There is only one way that I know of in which all of this stuff that we've been talking about can come about. And that is through human connection. Human connection is required. It's not optional. We can't do this on our own. Our, our mind, our spirit, our hearts have been transformed by the trauma and will only heal in connection with other human beings. Preferably, <laughs> healthy other human beings. Because if you go to an unhealthy one, you, you may do some of the healing because let's, let's be real. Not any, there's, there's not very many people that are all broken or all well. Matter of fact, I haven't met anybody who's all broken or all well. I've had those that are severely broken and those are who are significantly healthy, like overwhelmingly healthy, but not all healthy or all broken. Okay. So I thought this would be the opportunity for me now to tell you how I do this in, in a therapeutic office for those of you who are out there. And please, I know I'm going to, this is probably annoying if you've heard this a few times, but I'm going to state it anyway. This podcast in this time with me in here is not a substitute for good therapy. It, this is not a true connection. 
right? That connection comes through, you know, you could do a video conference. Telehealth is surprisingly effective for most things. Um, I, I don't think it's quite as good as in-person therapy, um, but it does the job and it does it well. Um, what I have found is that that human connection is absolutely necessary. So please, please, please don't substitute good therapy for coming and spending time with me. All right. I wanted to go over my rules and my settings for, for doing trauma work. First, I have three rules and only three rules. Number one, safety. Number two, safety. And number three, safety. If you are listening and you have done therapy with me, you're going, oh my gosh, he's saying the same thing. Yes, because that's the rules. Safety where? Safety of the environment, number one. The second safety is safety of the relationship. I will literally tell a client, look, if you don't feel safe with me yet, then now is not the time for us to do the trauma work. You have got to feel like I am safe before we start the trauma work. We don't even start it until they feel safe. So that's the second one. And the third safe is what I call the timeout safety. I, as the therapist, do not have any power and control in the processing of trauma. I defer 100% of it to the client. Obviously, I have power and control over my own uh, space, my own experience, but I do not want to take even one ounce, not even one teeny tiny drop of power and control from the client, which means they could be literally in the middle of a sentence and say, time out, I'm done with doing trauma work for today. And my response is, okay. I may say something like, can you tell me why we're done? Or is, is that too much? And they may or may not tell me. And whatever they do or don't tell me, I say, okay. Like, I, I only ask that question because I'm curious. Um, and then I tell them ahead of time oftentimes, remember, safety, safety, safety. So then if they do call a timeout, in the middle of it, which is very unusual, but let's say they do. I, I have had it happen. Then I may say, do you feel safe in the environment? Because this is how I find out information. Do, did you feel safe in the relationship? And did you just need a timeout? <laughs> right? I want to find those things out because those three things, like if I can find out where they're losing safety, then I can be a better therapist for them. Okay. So those are my rules. And what they lead to is self-agency and empowerment. The client, look, if trauma requires that we are helpless and hopeless, how can we be helpless and hopeless if we have 100% of the ability to say, I'm done for right now? The helplessness and hopelessness can't exist in that environment in that moment. So... What we have done is essentially begun to unravel the traumatic experience. And what that leads to is new scaffolding in our brain. 
the idea uh, that we have this this trauma issue it, it's it stinks and the way that we can reattach it as a memory is fantastic and the way we do that is we take that old memory or that old trauma because it might be a trauma first but the, as it becomes a memory we start to build positive memories on top of it so that when we experience that feeling sensation, when we experience that thought, when we experience that, that overwhelmed notion that exists within us, those negative core beliefs, those negative thoughts, we can do a super quick check-in and say, I've been here before and you know what? I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. And that's a beautiful experience for a person with trauma to have. The idea of putting safety, safety, safety on top of hopelessness and help, helplessness, it transforms a life it, and in a good way, in a positive way, in a healthy way. So those are the rules that I have, and that's how it plays out. I hope that during this time... Um, you know, because I know that the vast majority of the people, like they say that almost everyone in the world is going to experience a trauma, at least a trauma, sometime in their life. So it's my hope that this experience with me today in this podcast is giving you a frame of reference so that you can hold on just a little bit, even if it's just a smidgen of hope, and and know a little bit about the way the healing process works around trauma. So that when you encounter, or if you have encountered, you can seek the right help from the right people and in the right way. That's my hope. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Please give me questions, comments, concerns. I like to hear from you guys. I definitely respond to, uh, to, to people when they reach out to me. So you guys know how to do that. I am on, uh, I'm on Facebook. You can go to my website. You can send me an email. I mean, there's, there's numerous ways to get to me. Thank you for joining me. Have a great one. 